Uh, have you ever noticed how one bad decision can lead to the next bad decision, can lead to the next, and they can just snowball out of control until, well, it just kind of unravels your life? Sometimes we refer to this as the snowball effect, like bad decision builds on bad decision until it gets bigger and bigger until it starts spiraling. Um, sometimes we just refer to this as um, adolescence. <laughs> but it really is bigger than those hormone-driven decisions. Like if you think about it, from, from, from birth, we, we tell our kids stories to warn them about the effects of making bad decisions that, that spiral and snowball out of control. Um, you've probably heard this story about the old woman, right? Who, like, she made one bad decision and it led cascading into this series of bad decisions, spiraled out of control, ultimately leading to her self-destruction. And do you remember what the bad decision that old lady made? She swallowed a fly. I don't know why, but she swallowed a fly. And then she swallowed a spider to get the fly, and it wriggled and wiggled and tickled inside her, and I don't know why she swallowed the fly. I mean, remember, it cascades, though. And then to, to get the spider, she swallows a bird. How absurd. To swallow a bird, and then she swallows a cat and a dog and a cow, and I don't know how she swallowed a cow. But each decision gets bad until it culminates. Snowballs careening out of control until there was an old woman who swallowed a horse, and she's dead, of course. Right? Now, is this ridiculous? Yes, it is. But couldn't we all tell ridiculous stories just like that? I mean, is it any more ridiculous than, like, there was the young man who got on a website. I don't know why he got on a website. But it led to another bad decision, another bad decision, and it built a habit in him, and it started forming his relationships, and it affected his whole life, stealing his joy and leading him on a path of self-destruction, ruining his marriage. There was a young woman who dated a jerk. I don't know why she dated a jerk. But you fast forward 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and you see the damage across her life, scars on her soul. There was a middle-aged man who put work above his family. I don't know why. There was a middle-aged woman who tried to cover all of her insecurities with stuff, with money, with good looks, with working out. I don't know why she did that. On and on we could go. If we are honest with ourselves, and I'm not pretending that's easy at all, because we're in church. (laughs) But if we're honest with ourselves, I doubt that there's a person in this room over the age of 12 who couldn't tell a ridiculous story about themselves. One bad decision leads to the next, leads to the next, and starts snowballing out of control, unless, unless they find some way to get out of that. And maybe it could just be, just be me. I recognize I am especially gifted at swallowing flies. But I'm guessing when I open up the Bible and, and look at our ancient scriptures, this holy book, I'm guessing that it's not just me because I find this same ridiculous sin story of one bad decision leading to the next, leading to this whole thing careening out of control in people's lives. I see that story in God's people for at least 3,500 years. I'm guessing we're not too much different. When we open up the book of Hosea today, somehow I ended up there. Hosea today. I've got a new system. I'm really excited about it, actually. Do you want to see what I can do? I can just, like, flip through things. Uh, okay, I'm not. 
Sorry, technology and me just don't get along that much. But when we open up to the book of Hosea, we're going to finish the story, this personal story of Hosea. We're not going to go through the whole book, but we're going to finish that story today in Hosea chapter 3. And when we look at Hosea chapter 3, we need to not start there, but we need to start uh, a half a millennia. And hundreds of pages back earlier in our Bible, we need to go back to the beginning because what we're going to find is the only way you can possibly understand where Hosea is at is if you understand this whole cycle they've been in for year after year where they swallow a fly and then they swallow a spider and then they swallow a bird and they swallow a cat and a dog and a cow and then they're ready to die. When we get to the book of Hosea chapter 3, they are ready to swallow a horse. Okay? But if we don't go back and we don't read the whole story, we can miss it. So, so when we start, we need to start not here, but it needs to start back at this scene. So this, this is where it really begins, Mount Sinai. So if, if you remember, if you've read your Bible, been in church, or if you've watched The Prince of Egypt, you know that, that God's people were enslaved to a wicked king named Pharaoh in this land called Egypt. And God said, you know, sent in Moses, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. So God, what did he do? Sends in 10 plagues to destroy, demolish the gods of Egypt and show he is victorious. I will save my people. And by the blood of a sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, God saves them out, takes them into the desert. And in the desert, this is, remember from last week, this is their honeymoon This is where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Here's my law. Here's the way to live with me. Here's the way we're going to live together. And this is the beauty that I want to invite you into, to know me, to walk with me. And he wants to give them their protection and his promises. And he he goes over and over and over the top. God has never done this with any other people ever. He shows up to an entire people group at one time at this mountain in fire and says, this is who I am. Will you be mine? And they say, yes. So God sweeps him up, takes him into his home, into the promised land. But he says, now, when we get in the promised land, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to go to this spot right here. This spot, and you can, you can kind of see from, from Google Earth here. On the one hand is a mountain called Mount Ebal. On the other hand is Mount Gerizim. And there's this valley in between. You can see it perhaps better in this scene. So on the one hand side, there's, there's these two mountains in this place called Shechem. You might have heard it, heard of it. In the Bible, Shechem's in the middle. And he says, now what I want you to do is I want you to take the Levites. So we don't want to get into technical things here, but this is a group of people set aside for God. Think priests. They're not all priests, but that's the idea. So priests, take half the priests on this mountain and half the priests on this mountain. And we're going to take all the people and we're going to pass through these mountains. And the priests on the one side at Mount Gerizim, they are going to recite over you all the blessings of what it means to be in relationship, to do life with God. And we have a record of this in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14. And it goes like this. You will be blessed in the city. And blessed in the country. And then it goes on and on. Your kids will be blessed. Your business will be blessed. Your health will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in. And blessed when you go out. Like blessing, blessing, blessing. Like to live life with God is to live blessing. And don't, don't, don't mishear this. This is not the prosperity gospel. He's not saying like if you follow me I'll give you a Maserati and a mansion. Mm-mm. He's saying I created you. I made you. I designed you for relationship with me. And when you fit your life with mine, it fits perfectly like a key in a lock. That's how things are supposed to work. When you follow my way of life, when you do it with me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
you're going to experience the big Hebrew word shalom, peace, joy, wholeness. All right? So that's what he says right there. But then after those first 14 verses from Mount Gerizim, remember, half the Levites are on there shouting, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be blessed. And then on the other mountain, Mount Ebal, the other half, the, the, the Levites get the job of telling them the bad news. If you don't follow me, if you break the covenant, if you try and do life apart from God, what... Well, Here's what's going to happen. And they go through curse for 53 verses. They go through in horrific detail what life apart from God will be like. And it will be cursed. Your life's going to come apart. Your relationships will self-destruct. You will lose your purpose in life. You will lose your humanity. You will do horrific things to one another. Your society will start falling apart in things like racism and hatred and senseless murders. Does, does that sound familiar? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. When we reject the author of life, life doesn't work right. Like that's the point. And if you want to understand the Old Testament, you read Deuteronomy chapter 28. Just read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and every single verse, I promise you, you can then pinpoint through across the Old Testament, here's the history of the Jews. When they followed God, here's where he blessed them, where he cared for them, how he took care of them, how life made sense when they were with God and when they separated from Here's how their life started coming apart at the seams over and over and over again. And when you follow that, one bad decision leads to the next, leads to the next all these curses, when you get to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you want to see what the very end of the road is, it's this. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 64 and following, reads like this. Then the Lord will scatter you among the nations. Have have we heard that word scatter in the book of Hosea? Yeah. In fact, Hosea had to name his firstborn that, scatter. Actually, technically different word, but same meaning in Hebrew. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end to the other. There you will worship other gods. Are they worshiping other gods right now? Are they chasing after gods of sex and money and power? Yes, yes, they are. Verse 65. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. Now, listen to the haunting language here. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind. And eyes weary with longing and despairing heart. And you will live in constant suspense. Filled with both dread day and night. Never sure of your life. In the morning you'll say, if only it were evening. And in the evening you'll say, if only it were morning. Because of the terror, you will find your hearts. Fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. Then, then, okay, do you you understand? This constant anxiety-driven culture. And then the very end, the last verse of chapter 68, when all else has failed, then the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. You will be enslaved again. You will go back to your old masters. And then, read this, this is the very last line. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. What is the very worst thing, the very most cursed thing that could happen when your life completely falls apart? You will be so destitute, you will try to sell yourself, but you'll be so unlovely, so unattractive, unattractive, so destitute that no one would want to buy you. If you want to understand Hosea, you've got to understand Deuteronomy 28. 
Hosea shows up on the scene and his entire message is, wake up. Deuteronomy 28, it's happening right now. Like you did this and you did this and you did this and you did this and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. If you don't break out of it, if you don't turn out of it, it's going to destroy you. This is going to happen to you. And this is where we find God's people in Hosea chapter 3. This is where we find them. We find them neck deep in the curses of God, completely broken and ruined by their own godless decisions, by their own choice. So in order to make this crystal clear for us. God is going to show us what he's been showing us, this object lesson the last few weeks. He's going to bring out display number one, Hosea's family again. And it starts like this. Hosea chapter three, starting in verse one, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. So if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, quick recap, God showed up to a prophet named Hosea and said, hey, I got a job for you. And he's like, great, I love your jobs. What do you want me to do? He's like, go marry an adulterous wife. And he's like, what? I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. So God said, read it in the ESV. It says, go take a wife of whoredom. He's like, oh, that's what you mean. So he, we don't know how that went, but that conversation, somehow he did it anyways. Right? He does it, and then they create this family that is Hosea's family, but it's not his family. We find out in the text at least two of the children seem to be illegitimate. That she has his wife, Hosea's wife, Gomer, seems to have a couple of men on the side. Friends with benefits or whatever, you know? And so Hosea, he, he freaks out as a husband should. And he tries to shut it down. He tries to block her. He, he takes away her credit card, her car. He takes away everything from her so that, so that she'll come to an end of herself and come back to him and come back to the family. But Gomer seems to believe her own lies. She believes that her other lovers really love her. She believes that they really want to care for her. She believes that they're better than her faithful husband. And one bad decision leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. And when we see Gomer here, she is in bad shape. She is Deuteronomy 28 bad. And you're going to notice that even at this point, after she's been through everything, after she's suffered, lost everything, after she's in a terrible, terrible place, notice what she's called. An adulteress. Like, even at this point, there's no reason to suspect that she's actually repentant. And what's God's response to the unrepentant adulteress? Hey, you need to go love her again. Why? Because that's how God loves you. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Hosea's love, remember this is an object lesson, Hosea's love for Gomer, for his unfaithful wife, is an object lesson, is a picture of God's love for us when we are unfaithful. And Hosea is to love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods in the same way that we turn to other things, that we love other things and love the sacred raisin cakes. We know you love those sacred raisin cakes, right? Yeah, okay, no, okay. So raisin cakes, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, fig cakes. Raisin cakes, same same general vicinity here. We're talking aphrodisiacs. We're talking place of Marvin Gaye when you eat those. But these are not just any raisin cakes. These are sacred raisin cakes, all right? So they had something to do with worship at the pagan temple. 
And I will not go into detail because I didn't warn you. Um, but you can just imagine the worship service was something like a Miley Cyrus house party. All right? Yeah, so that's that's what it says. But I want to go back here. I think there, there, there's something here that I don't want to pass over too quickly. Um, there might be something more in these in this verse. And if you look at the, just the first half of the verse, it says, we just read this. Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another. There, there's something interesting. When you study your Bible, do you ever pull out a couple translations? You should. All right? If you get on BibleGateway.com, it makes it really easy. You can just flip over. You can look at all the translations at once. When you look at this in the NASB, the, this is the new international uh, version. When you look at it in the, the NASB, the whatever, New American Standard Bible, yes, it reads like this. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband. Now, this is, this is, this is something different, doesn't it? Right? Go love your wife though she's loved by another, or go love a woman who is loved by her husband. Which is it? Is Gomer loved by another man, or is she loved by her husband? And, and if you get into the Hebrew text, which some of you actually could, you would find it's ambiguous. It could mean either, the way it's phrased. So the question is, you got to, from context, and you got to pull this out from the verbiage, and as you study through it, you're like, well, it could be either one, and I'm going to tell you, don't. Don't bet your salvation on this one, all right? But I think the NASB got this one right. Like if you dig into the text, you dig into how that word's used. You look at Jeremiah 3 where, where the similar phrase is used in the similar context. When you, you put all that together and look at the commentaries, I think they're right here. Now, I think it's saying that go love a woman who is loved by her husband. Now why, why in the world would you care about this? It's a great question. But if it's right, this means that Hosea never stopped loving his wife. If this translation is right, it could be translated, go love a woman who you never stopped loving, though she's an adulteress. I don't want you to pass this too quickly because I think whether this is the right translation or not, this is a truth that is clear in the scriptures. Remember, Hosea is an object lesson to teach us about God's love. So when you sin and when you cheat on God and when you're unfaithful to him and when you turn against him and when you're unrepentant, he never stopped loving you. Hosea never stopped loving his adulterous wife, and God never stopped loving you. When Hosea goes to find Gomer, he finds her for sale. We see in verse 2, the first lines, so I bought her. And we, we say, you bought her? Why is she for sale? Like, how did Gomer get in this place? Like, how is, how is it possible that you could even go buy her? And, and the text gives us nothing here. In, in the context, though, we know there were two ways that you could end up for sale in the ancient world. Generally speaking, one is you could get so destitute, have so much debt, have no way to support yourself. So you sell yourself into slavery. That's option number one. You'd put yourself on the auction block. Sell me. Right? And this makes sense. I mean, Gomer, at this point, she would be unmarriable. And she would have no way to support herself except prostitution. So she could be selling herself. Interesting fact, by the way. Exodus 21. Do you know what the price was for a slave 
30 pieces of silver. So, the other option, though, is that she could have been, and notice we talked about the sacred raisin cakes earlier. She could have been, made a sacred vow to one of the pagan temples and made herself, like in this case, she would make herself like a priestess or make a sacred vow to one of the temples where she is a priestess in the sacred raisin cake ceremony. Huh? You get the idea? So they also call this sacred prostitutes. She could be a sacred prostitute. And, and if you make a vow to the temple, um, Leviticus 27, do you know what the price is for redeeming someone, for buying them out of a vow they made? At 30 pieces of silver. So, Gomer is either a slave or she's a sacred prostitute. We're not quite sure. But here's the question. Does it really matter? I mean, at this point, things are as bad as they possibly could be. When Hosea finds his wife, she's either selling herself as a slave or she's a sacred prostitute sleeping with people in worship of some false god. Her life has come apart at the seams. She's on a path of self-destructing. She is now, remember this, she's Deuteronomy 28. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. This is Gomer. This is Deuteronomy 28. This is all of God's promises. Like, if you try and do life apart from me, this is where it will end up. This is it. She has to sell herself. Her beauty's gone. Her sexiness is gone. Her luxuries are gone. She has nothing attractive about her. And who, who would possibly pay for her at this time? And so an auctioneer stands up and says, who wants to buy this woman? And there's silence. Her lovers don't want her anymore. She's not attractive. All those false gods that she thought were going to save her, her money, her sexiness, her power, it's all gone. But Hosea says, I'll buy her. I'll pay the price. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Now all of you who have been studying the, the metric system in the back of your, your Bibles, a homer and lethic of barley is about, in today's standards, 100 barrels of barley, which you don't have to be a farmer to know. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And if you sold it in, in today's terms, um, 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethic of barley is a little more than 30 pieces of silver. Each shekel of silver was more than a month's wages. We're talking more than 30 months' wages. In today's terms, over $150,000 that he paid for her. Hosea paid an enormous price to redeem his adulterous wife. I'll buy her. I'll pay the price. And at enormous personal cost, he paid the price. And if you ask, Hosea, what are you thinking? Like, don't you know what this woman's done to you over and over and over and over again? Don't you know how unfaithful she is? Don't you know how disgusting she is at this point? She hasn't been a good mother. She keeps running out on you. She's totally unfaithful. Why, why in the world would you possibly do this, Jose? And he says, well, I never stopped loving her. So I want you to take this in. I want you to remember this. When Gomer cheats on Hosea again and again, when she's utterly ruined and still unrepentant, when she's destroyed by her own choices and unwilling to make any different choices, 
when she's utterly destitute, so destitute that she has to sell herself, and so unattractive that no one else and no one in the right mind would want to buy her, Hosea never stopped loving her, and he pays the price for her. Do you know there's a biblical word for this? Do you know what it is? Redemption. Redemption. I want you to remember this. Do not forget this. This is the story. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will live with you. So having redeemed her, having, having gone after her, chased her down, paid the high price to bring her and to save her. He now is going to restore her. And here's his plan. I'm going to separate you from everyone. You need to heal. Not, not, just, not just physically, but spiritually. You need a time to break those addictions in your life. You need to learn how to love again. How to be with me again. For the Israelites will live many days without king or priest, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And God says, I'm going to do this exact same thing. What Hosea is doing uh, for Gomer, I'm going to do this with my people. They're going to, I'm going to take everything away from them. I'm going to redeem them and then I'm going to restore them. And they're going to have to go through a long period, about 400 years if you check your Bible. Without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod, without any way of hearing from God. Time to heal. Time to break those addictions. Time to create new things. Time to learn how to be with God again. And then after that, after the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessing in the last day. So after they've been redeemed, after they've been broken of their addictions, after they've had time to heal, after they've learned to begin to love again, God says, they're going to follow the Davidic king, the son of David. And they are going to come trembling to me, and they're going to experience my blessings again. Hosea chapter 3 is a story about a husband who never stopped loving his unrepentant wife, though she's an adulteress. He finds her utterly destitute, enslaved, and for sale, and then at enormous personal cost, he redeems her for himself and restores her so that, so that she can learn to love and experience his blessings again. Why, Why does God want us to hear this story? Why? If this is an object lesson about his love for us, what are we supposed to pull from this? And I, I just want to state the obvious here. We're Gomer. All of us. Read your New Testament. We were all created by God for God to be with him, to give him our whole heart. What's the number one commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength. That to, to love him with everything we have and everything we are. That he will say, I will be your God. And we say, we will be your people. To give ourselves wholly to God. That's the number one commandment. But have we done that? Have we been faithful? No. You read the scriptures and you just look at your, read your own life. We're unfaithful. We've chased after the wrong things. We've loved ourselves, our stuff, our personal happiness more than we love God. And there's a word for that. It's called idolatry. Here we call it spiritual adultery. 
And we've made one bad decision after another, after another. The it spirals, leads us down a path of self-destruction until we are, in the words of Jesus, enslaved to sin. Jesus says it this way in John 8. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Peter says it in 2 Peter 2. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And so we are enslaved to sin, and he found us not just enslaved to sin, but serving at the temples of power and sex and money and whatever other gods you make in your little life. All of us do it. Our hearts have this terrible, terrible idol-making capacity. Anything that you put in front of God, family, church, what a stupid idol. And he found us hardened in our own sins, unrepentant. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, he describes us as dead in our sins. And we were enemies of God, Colossians 1, Romans 5. And at this point, when God finds us, he has every right to hate us. Every right to despise us. That there's nothing attractive about us. We're, we're destitute. We're his enemies. Everything about it says you deserve hell and nothing else. But there, there's one problem. There's one problem when he finds us as Gomer. He never stopped loving us. So at an enormous personal cost, God paid the price for our freedom. So we're on the auction block. And the auctioneer says, who would like to buy this person? Who would like to buy this person? Who, who would like to pay the price to save this person? And, and the world is silent. All those gods we've served, all those people we think are our God, even ourselves, we can't pay the price. But Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll pay the price, whatever it costs. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold or barley, for that matter, that you were redeemed. Remember, First Peter, he's reading this in the context of Hosea. He says, it wasn't with those things that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's not just money. It cost him everything. It's redemption. Don't, don't forget this. Don't overlook this. This is the story. Galatians 3.13, Paul says it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That he was nailed to a tree and he became cursed so that we could be set free. So that we could be blessed. He became a curse for us. Galatians 4. We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. We were enslaved. We were slaves just like Gomer. But when the time had come fuller, in the fullness of time. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive full rights as sons. He redeemed us from slavery so that, so that we can become children of God. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he bled, his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be free. He was sold. For how much was he sold for? 
Yeah, slaves price, 30 pieces of silver. So that we could find healing, he was beaten and scourged. So that we could be clothed in righteousness, he was stripped naked. So that we could be blessed, he became a curse. And so that we might live, he died He paid the price. He redeemed us. And it's not just that he redeemed us. Remember, when you redeem someone, you you buy them. So what does it say? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And what what are the the, the living creatures, these crazy angelic things? And and the elders say when they meet Jesus in in Revelation chapter 5, they say, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Why? Why is Jesus so worthy? Because you were slain. With your blood you purchased men for God. You purchased them. You bought them. You redeemed them from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we are Gomer. God paid the price for us. And he wants to restore us. He wants to heal you. He wants to separate you from the things that are destroying you. He wants to break you out of the cycle of bad decision that leads to bad decision that leads to bad decision. He wants to take away those things that can hurt you, break the addictions, break the habits. He wants to teach you to love again so that you can experience him and know life with him and know his blessing. And that, my friends, is what communion is all about. It's what this table is about. This table, at this table, we are to remember redemption. The precious blood of Christ that was shed for us. The, the, the bread and the cup as his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. That at this table we remember he never stopped loving me. And I gave him every reason to. But he never stopped. And when I didn't deserve it, he paid a price that I can't even fathom. And he did it so that I wouldn't be a slave anymore. But that I could be called a child. Welcome to the very family table of God. And he did it so that the empty way of life that people live could be done away with. And I could live a life of fullness and purpose and meaning. So that those things that I chase that try and give me meaning and try and make my life make sense. He would say, no, you can now walk with me and love me and live with me. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At this table, we remember how he loves us. So we're going to take communion. And if you believe the message of Hosea, which is the gospel, if you believe that God loves you and that you've been redeemed, that is set free because of Christ's precious blood, you, if you believe that you are not your own, but you belong to God, if you believe that you are a child of God, forgiven, not because of what you achieved or because you deserved it, because of what he did for you when you didn't deserve it, if you believe that, this table's for you, and I urge you to remember, 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 don't forget the precious blood of Christ. Remember what it costs to bring you here. Not so you'll feel guilty but so you'll feel loved. If you don't believe this, if you're like Gomer and still unrepentant, know that God hasn't given up on you. 
know that the offer's still good. I mean, this table, this table is explicitly for those who believe. So if you don't believe this, I, I would encourage you to sit back and watch. But I do want to ask you today, is today the day? And what's holding you back from receiving the love of God? Is it really worth clinging to your own gods, to your own idols? Do you, how do you think that's going to work out? If the servers and musicians would come forward, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Give us a moment, and then um, as soon as I'm done praying, you guys are welcome to come forward. If you've never been here with us before, just follow the person in front of you. You'll, you'll get the hang of it. Let me pray, and then if you would, um, come forward as you feel led. Father, we just give this time to you. We give this table to you. God, I, I pray for those who do not have confidence in your love. I pray for those who are right now struggling to believe that you could love them, Lord, that you would break through that. God, I, I, I pray for those who struggle to believe that you could be better than, than what they're currently pursuing. God, thank you for sending your son to come after us, to pay the price for us. God, may we honor you with our lives and with this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.